Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast number 79. Because of Memorial Day, we had a condensed week this week, so I put everybody together on this one podcast. We have Glenn Birnbaum with the Tax Move of the Week, Chip Nellinger with After the Bell, Weather from Kirk Hens from Bam Weather, and Aaron, Gina, and I talk about the combine market heading into fall harvest. So I hope you all had a great Memorial Day weekend. Hello and welcome to Tax Move of the Week with Glenn Birnbaum. Glenn, uh... You sent me an email today of kind of some ideas that you wanted to toss around. You wanted to talk a little bit about hedging versus speculation when it comes to uh, marketing your grain, and I would have never given this any thought. So what? tell me what okay. the biggest difference are between the two. Yeah. So, you know, as obviously, you know, producers are, you know, they're in the market. They're, you know, doing things in the futures, you know, the board of trade. They're buying options, you know, buying puts various things like that. So we wanted to talk about different tax. How is this treated for tax purposes? And the bottom line is we've got to understand what's considered a hedge versus what is speculation. The IRS, there's a different tax treatment if you're hedging versus speculating. So, you know, just real quickly. So if if I'm just speculating in the marketplace, you know, I don't, I'm not really um, offsetting a risk uh, future, you know, if I if I own corn right now, right, if, I, if I'm hedging something, I might be selling on the board of trade. That would be considered a hedge, right, because I I own the commodity in its physical form and I'm going to sell it on the board. That's that's a hedge versus if I'm just speculating, um, it's going to be di- treated differently. So um, the basic understanding, we'll start with speculation. If I can't, if it's not hedging, it's considered speculating. And speculating, where you can get into trouble is, if I lose money speculated in some sort of option or futures, it's considered a capital loss. Okay, Casey. So a capital loss, you may remember this, you can only deduct a capital loss against other income, $3,000 a year. So if you, you know, lose money speculated on the board of trade, 50 grand, you're only going to be able to deduct 3000 of that. And the other $47,000 carries over and it can only be used to offset other, other capital gains. So that's, that's the big concern is if I'm speculating in the market and I lose money, not only did I lose the money, right, it's real cash out the door, but I may not be able to write it off against my normal uh, farm income. Okay. So that's a problem, right? Um, now, if I, if I make money, so if I speculate and I make money, um, it's considered a capital gain. And the rule is you put it on a form 6781. But the rule is 40% of the of the gain is automatically considered short-term capital gain, and that's taxed at higher rates. That's taxed at your normal normal income tax rates. Uh, 60% though is taxed as long-term capital gain, and that's taxed at generally either a 15 or 20% rate. So the weird thing about it is, is if I just speculate and I own this you know futures position for a couple months. Normally, that's short term, right? If, I mean, if I buy Caterpillar stock, we're here in Peoria, if I buy Caterpillar stock and I own it for two months and sell it, that's, that's going to be a short term capital gain because I only owned it for two months. I did not own it for a year. Versus if I'm speculating in commodities futures, I own something for two months, actually 60% of it is going to be a capital gain, lower rate. So, one of the big takeaways here is you got to be really careful 
of what's considered hedging or speculating. And, and sometimes speculation is good. If I speculate and I make money, it's going to be capital gain, probably going to be preferential. But if I speculate and I lose money, it's going to be bad. So, you know, pretty hard to know which way the markets are going to go. So the bottom line is you can get into some trouble on speculation. Okay. All right. So what you're, what you're, if I hear you right here, what you're suggesting is be more, due diligent and planning how you're going to market your grain, whether you're going to buy a put Yeah, so, or so we, we, yeah, we started with speculation. And again, speculation could be kind of good or bad, depending on where you're at. But if I'm a, if I'm a producer, I'm actually legitimately hedging my, my crop, right? Again, I, I own the crop or the crop is in the field and it's growing and I sell futures, you know, that, that is considered a hedge. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now for tax purposes on a hedge, what you do is you, you do not have to mark that contract to market, right? So that futures position that I just talked about, you don't have to mark that to market. You just you just kind of let it sit in a suspense account until you actually end up selling the grain. Then whatever gain or loss you had on the futures, you get to offset against your ordinary income on Schedule F. So the real thing we want to, one of the big takeaways is if you are legitimately hedging your crop, and obviously a lot of producers are doing that, you've got to document certain things the IRS in order to call it a hedge. Otherwise, if you don't do the right documentation, you don't identify the hedge from the start, it's considered speculating. And and potentially, again, if you lose money speculating, you could have this capital loss and not be able to deduct it. So you've really got to do some paperwork and document things um, for actual hedging transactions. So how, what, how does that work if I'm going to sell in, you know, 2019 I'm going to, I'm going to contract some stuff for 2019. Right. So I'm yeah. contracting and I'm hedging, right. I'm hedging that yep. I'm kind of locking in a contract. I'm, I'm, I'm locking in that yep. future contract, what that looks like. Is that all, is all that stuff? Is that all 2019 income that you have to worry about if you did 2018 or how, how does that work? It's a good question. You always got good questions, Casey. So you can actually hedge future, future years production. So obviously we're in 2018 here. You can actually hedge 2019. And again, when you hedge, you do not market to market. So you take a certain position, right? You enter into a position right now today. You know, we're at the end of May here. And then come, you know, end of December, that, that future position is going to either be, you know, have unrealized gain or unrealized, unrealized losses at the end of the year. You do not have to take that income. If there's income there, you don't have to take that income into your tax return. Because if it's a hedge, again, you document it as a hedge. Um, if it's a loss, though, you don't get to write that loss off against your farm incomes. So again, there's a lot of catch 22s here, but again, if you're hedging it and you can hedge future years production, um, you basically, you do not market to market. You just let it, let it ride until you actually end up selling the crop. And then when that happens and you unwind that futures position, that's when you would, you know, get to net those two, right? I net my grain sale against my futures position and all that would be considered ordinary income. So I don't have to market to market if I'm hedging. I do have to market it to market if I'm speculating. So if I'm speculating in wheat or something, right? I, I don't grow wheat, but I take a position in wheat, and I, at the end of the year, I have a fifty thousand dollar unrealized gain in my wheat position. And if I'm speculating, I have to mark that to market. I got to take that into income and pay tax on it if it's speculating. Versus again, if it's hedging, I don't have to recognize the income until I actually sell the wheat. So does that make sense? Yeah, so 
if I understand you right here, just make sure I'm clear on what you're saying. Just you don't grow wheat, right? <clears throat> so your farm doesn't grow any wheat, never has. You have no record of yep. growing wheat. So if you go out and yep. buy a bunch of, I don't know, some some future contracts somewhere, you go out and buy three or four future contracts, right? Uh, yep. December wheat. So you want to buy December wheat in, uh, and you want to buy that position, and you're and you're locked in there. No, technically you're you're hedging that. You're 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 hedging on what you're gonna do. But would that be a speculation because you don't grow wheat? Correct. That's a good. I mean, a lot of yeah. He, yeah, it's a great good point. Hedging is a is kind of a generic term, right? And right. you know, but to the IRS, hedging means something like, hey, I'm legitimately offsetting a crop that I own. In that case, you know, if if you don't grow wheat and you're speculating in wheat and you're trading in wheat, then that's considered a speculation. And again, you've got to recognize that as income. Every you market to market. Every you know, at the end of the year, it gets marked to market. Obviously, it gets marked to market on a you know on a daily basis and that's why you have margin calls and that so uh so how does that work the, if you're a landlord yeah, like if you're a landlord and you do like a crop sharing scenario yep. or you're gonna do like i don't know a 70 30 split or 60 40 split or whatever the contract is if you're the if you're the landlord that's just doing the crop sharing part you technically own part of that crop so how you could then so that would be yeah. a hedge yeah okay. if you're again generally for somebody that's growing a crop you're either going to be you know, selling on the board, right, um, or buying a put. Those are the two things that are, uh, you know, that's a, that's a legitimate hedge. Does that make sense? Yeah, I know that makes perfect sense. Okay. Yep. Well, this is why I have an accountant. So. Yeah. Now, for livestock, you know, livestock would be, you know, that's where you're obviously, you know, you're 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 hedging your input cost, right? Your corn, let's say, for livestock, a hedge would either, you know, generally be purchasing a call. Or buying futures, right? So it's kind of the the opposite. So if you're doing those things, again, you, you document things. You don't have to market to market at the end of the year, you know, and you wait until you unwind uh, the actual physical contract. If you're just speculating, um, it's it's considered capital gain or loss. And again, the worst case scenario is you speculate in the market and you lose money, and then even worse, you can't write it off, right? Because of that three thousand dollar rule. So the money's out the door, but you can't write it off until you have some other gain. It can be a, a pretty big problem. Okay, so this is probably a whole nother tax move topic, and if it is, stop me, and we'll just save it for a rainy day. But if I am a say I'm a, I'm a feedlot or a dairy or something like that, and I have 500 acres out here of of, of corn that I turn into silage, right? And I, I chop it and I, I go put it in the silage bin and feed it to my cows. How is that? You're not going to hedge that. You're not doing anything about it. You're just strictly growing it for feed. So how does that yeah. work from a from a, an? In, I mean, is that is that just like an input to your business, or I mean, how does that work? Yeah, good question. You're you're getting into really like what your method of accounting is, and generally, you know, a farmer is going to be a cash basis method of accounting. So you know, the input cost to grow that corn, you get to you get to deduct that, right? You expense that as you grow the crop, and so. Whether you're harvesting, if I'm following your question, whether you're harvesting actual grain or you harvest the silage, yes, that has value, right? The silage or the, or the grain. But for tax purposes, you don't have to recognize that as income because you're on the cash basis. So in that grain scenario, I might have a million dollars of grain on hand, right? I don't have to show that as income until I sell it. In silage, you're not going to show the income until you effectively feed it and then eventually sell the livestock that ate the silage, if I'm following your question. Yeah, so that's my question. So. 
I yep. have 500 acres of corn and, and corn's whatever it is, four dollars a bushel, and but I'm gonna turn that four dollars a bushel into I'm cutting the whole plant and everything, make it into silage. Yeah. Do I? Do you have to have some sort of basis on that field as far as what your average bushel is, or or I mean, how do you figure what what your crop's worth on that 500 acres? Um, I'm not sure I totally am following your question, but let me see if, I mean, again, from a tax perspective, you get to write off your input costs, whether you're going to ultimately end up growing a kernel of corn or the, or the actual silage. So you get to write that off because that's, you know, there's a business purpose for growing the crop, whether you harvest it as silage or whether you harvest it as corn, doesn't matter to the IRS. Okay. That's my question then. Yeah, it doesn't. I didn't know, I didn't know if there was a difference between the value of the corn in the field standing there before you turn it into silage you know what i'm saying like yeah there's no i mean again you know we don't deal with a lot of silage in this area but yeah there's nothing like that you have to do some sort of difference and either pick that up an income or write it off you know it just the irs assumes you're in for a profit you know you're in you're in in this business to make a profit and so what you choose to do with it economically they don't really care about they just say hey if once you turn this inventory into cash right and it could either be actually selling the corn or selling the livestock that ate the silage. Once you turn that into cash, that's when the IRS taxes you, gotcha. not when you actually produce the product. And it, it doesn't really matter what the value of the product is because your cash basis. I got you. That makes sense. Yeah. So I have accounts again. I don't, I don't, I don't know the other things. So. Hey, one last thing on the speculation. If you remember, if you got this net loss, the problem is you can only deduct it equal to $3,000 right against your other income. There is a rule that says you could carry that net loss back three years and offset similar type, you know, of these commodity. If you had a commodity gain from a couple, three years ago and you didn't have had a, a speculative commodity loss this year, you could carry that loss back to offset those speculative commodity gains in the past. So you may not be stuck with just having to wait for another future speculative commodity gain. You actually might be able to carry that loss back to the previous uh, three years. Okay. So again, it, the bottom line is there's a very different treatment. It's, it's either a capital gain or a capital loss if you're speculating versus if you're actually hedging it, that's going to be you know normal income, normal Schedule F income if you're a sole proprietor. So you got to be really careful. Right on. All right, Glenn. Well, if guys want to get a hold of you and talk more uh, hedging and speculation from an accounting perspective, how would they do that? Yeah, here at Heinel Banward, our phone number is 309-694-4251. You can also look at our website, www.hbcpas.com. And uh, my Twitter handle is at Glenn Birnbaum. Yeah, pretty easy, pretty easy guy to find. So, uh, yep. Glenn, I, I appreciate it. And until next week, um, have a good week, and hopefully get some more of that rain you guys need out there. Okay, Casey, have a good one. All right, we'll see you, bud. Hello and welcome back. I've got Kirk Hens from BAM Weather on here. Kirk, it looks like there's been a little bit of storms here over the weekend and in the middle of the week. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, some super soaking rains actually for a good part of Kansas as well. There were some areas in west central Kansas and western Kansas that picked up 8 to 11 inches of rainfall out of one storm. So certainly not a great thing to get it all at once but uh, i know a lot of us would agree that you know rain is rain and we'll take all that we can get so good news for the southwestern plains i don't think that's the last of it either i think uh we kind of go into june those kind of shots are going to be possible 
So you think that's going to be a pretty regular, you feel like that's kind of changed a little bit from, from the dry models that you guys were seeing to start with at the beginning of the year? I would say for, for as we kind of transition into June, I would say I'm hinting at a little bit or heading towards a little bit more of a wetter solution, not like full drought busting rainfall kind of ag belt wide kind of a solution. But I do think there will be some opportunity for some rain as that ridge kind of retrogrades or flexes back and forth. I think it's going to be possible, but you know, we've got a couple shots of rain this week. We've got obviously tropical remnants of um, Alberto that are kind of working up through us here in the Ohio Valley today and leaving out tomorrow. And then we've got a couple more storm clusters for the central plains and into the Midwest as we kind of get into Friday. But uh, then the pattern kind of turns a little bit more less active as we get into the weekend into into next week. I don't I don't really see a whole heck of a lot of activity. We're going to kind of con- continue to build in that warmth. I think that warmth is going to be a main feature that's going to be throughout June. I think at times it'll be warmer, you know, more than others. I think mid-month there's going to be a nice warm shot there as well. But um, I do think that there will be some opportunity for some rains for folks out there for sure. So what are you seeing right now through the actual corn belt itself? So um, you hear reports of some drier than, than normal weather, then you hear some super wet stuff yeah. that's kind of gone through there. Um, how's that shaping yeah. up, and what's that starting to look like? Yeah, so some of the driest areas that are out there are kind of like eastern, southeastern Nebraska. Um, far like Eastern half of Kansas is starkly different than the western half. The western half has kind of been picking up on that moisture around the periphery of that ridge and really been getting some solid rainfall um, northern half of missouri very dry southern half of iowa which was the driest april on record continues to be dry in the southern half of iowa and then central illinois uh, us here in central indiana those are kind of the problem hot spots which ironically enough we've been the hottest through may as well so i i think maybe a little improvement is on the cards for those areas but i don't think we're going to see rain enough or anywhere close enough as we kind of head into june to kind of alleviate what what's happened here in may um i think folks up in the, the dakotas nebraska you know maybe even far northern iowa southern minnesota i think that's going to be a good kind of highway for moisture as we kind of go into june kind of right along that ridge too i, I don't think those kind of rains shut off either so now hey, we've just had alberta move through here and, and we're going to slowly start building those up as as the uh oceans start to heat up over the summer and into hurricane season so how active do you see yeah. the the Gulf, um, you know, yeah. tropical weather thing kind of taking place as far as the summer? Sure. Which is funny enough, a lot of people are we even associated this year having characteristics of 2012, but there was a May tropical system in 2012, and ironically enough, it was named Alberto. Oh, yeah. So I, I thought that was very ironic yeah. because you, it is extremely rare to get a tropical activity this early in the year, but. I, I would classify this as at least normal. I mean, the, the region where a lot of the tropical development starts to form is not really super warm, but the Gulf is warming up. So I think as we kind of transition more to the summer, we're going to start to see that activity pick up, which is kind of why in our summer outlook we favor the eastern part of the belt, you know, like more like Indiana, Ohio, the Tennessee, Ohio valleys to, to get a little bit more rainfall because of those tropical risks. Gotcha. Okay. And then lastly, let's take a look at South America. Um, they're an on-again, yeah, off-again yeah. when it comes to moisture down there. So sounds like Brazil's yeah. still fairly dry, and they had some rain yeah. forecast. But, you know, what's that look like down there? Yeah, I mean, they're unbelievably dry. I mean, I, I looked at the forecast, did a forecast today, and 
I would say about 80 to 90% of that second crop safrina won't see a drop over the next seven to 10 days. There's a little bit of hope in that week two time frame. I think it's overmodeled. Um, I don't think it's going to be anything close to what we need. So the, the, the big story down there is the dryness definitely 100% continues. I, I don't see a, a significant improvement in that crop as we kind of head into June by any means. Okay. Well, I think that pretty well covers it, Kirk. If guys wanted to learn more about BAM weather yeah. and what you offer, how would they do that? Yeah, absolutely. Head on over to our website, um, just BAM, B-A-N-W-X.com. There's a little contact section on there. We'd be happy to kind of chat with you about a forecasting service that may you know suit your needs or feel free to, to look me up under uh, on Twitter as well. I'm, I'm happy to message you and see what we can do to help you guys out. Okay, that'll work. Well, Kirk, till next week, uh, have a good week and uh, yeah. enjoy the rest of the uh, possibility of some rain for the rest of the week. <laughs> man, we really need a, we really need a bad man. I appreciate it very much, Casey. All right, see you, Kirk. All right, thanks. Bye. All right, welcome back to After the Bell with Chip Nellinger. Chip, uh, man, corn started out down about two and a half, and then my last alert I got on my phone here looked like it was down eight, so there must be some some stuff came through that was uh not i guess news wasn't as good as they wanted it to be yeah that's exactly right number one yesterday we had a pretty volatile day if you remember um you know monday night trade after the the long holiday uh weekend was higher and uh, things looked good it was hot it was dry by the close yesterday um you know we were way off the highs in negative territory and so number one just throw throw away the news for a minute that's a pretty negative technical performance showing, you know, rejection up there near the old highs. So you, you typically will see a little bit of follow through to the downside just off that. To make matters worse, um, we saw uh, the first crop conditions report of the year yesterday afternoon. And, and that comes out at three o'clock uh, every Monday afternoon. Obviously, with the holiday, they released that yesterday. Um, the corn number was way above expectations. Um, I think it came out at uh, like 77, 78 percent. The average estimate was was 72. You have a couple states like Iowa and Illinois at uh, 80 percent, good to excellent. Um, so that kind of just uh, shocked the market a little bit and said, hey, we've we've got awful good start to this crop. And on top of that, we've caught back up on the planning pace. We were behind for um, you know several weeks uh, and, and all along. But they've had an open window of planting up on the northern plains, um, you know, Dakotas, uh, Nebraska, uh, Minnesota, northern Iowa. They caught back up uh, to average. Uh, the bean planting pace is well above average. You throw in there that news from yesterday about this potential new uh, Chinese tariff uh, when the market thought, hey, we, we thought that was all figured out and, uh, and we're good to go on it. And it just caused a little a little doubt in there. So um, wheat crop conditions uh, ended up being a couple percentage points higher than expected. And you just kind of uh, opened the door up to a lot of selling. So uh, we've seen a pretty big washout here. As you mentioned, uh, corn's been uh, down uh, over eight cents, trying to come back a little bit. Right now here, um, you know, just ahead of noon central, uh, it's down about six and a half cents. Beans, um, you know, they're pairing some losses here as well. They were down 14, 15 cents at one point. We're working on about uh, 12 uh, off the highs, or I'm sorry, 12 off the lows right now, only down about three and a half, three and three quarters. 
the wheat market's still getting beat up though, down 13, 14 cents in here. Um, so we'll see what happens. Um, you know, obviously we've got some uh, potential news come with this China deal. Um, uh, Wilbur Ross is heading to China. I think tomorrow be there through the weekend. So it's possible, uh, you know, late in the week here over the weekend, we get some uh, Chinese trade news that is going to have a huge effect on prices. Um, obviously weather as well, right? There's been some rain in the forecast, Illinois, Indiana. There's been big rain right here where I am locally, um, two, three inches, some really good rains. But the issue is that was a, a narrow band pushed up from this tropical storm. It was only like 13, 14 miles wide and like 80 miles long. And it wasn't moving east to west like it normally does. It was moving from the south to the north. So it's a, it's a little bit of a weird system. And the point with that is it, it wasn't wet everywhere and not everyone got rain. But where you did get it, it was a phenomenally nice rain. Uh, and when the when the market uh, sees the radar and there's a bunch of red and there's two and three inch rains, um, you know, on uh, Shen High Corn, uh, that casts a little bit of a negative tone. So we'll see where we close. Um, we've been, we've talked about this several days now. There's going to be volatility in this thing. I think that's going to continue. Um, I, I wouldn't uh, even begin to assume that the highs are in yet, um, but we could have a little more, uh, you know, downside here, obviously, uh, if, uh, especially if we get a little more rain coming. So a little bit of an opposite case in the livestock markets. You've got um, cattle limit up three bucks higher in the August. You've got hogs on the high right now, up 112, up near the recent, um, you know, highs of the last couple months. So these cheaper corn prices uh, are, are being, you know, part of what's uh, into the strength in the livestock markets. And uh, there just seems to be a lot of speculative buying in there as well on both fronts. So I guess the bright spot today uh, is the hog and the cattle market and uh, a little bit of a, of a negative washout here on the grain side. All right. <clears throat> All right, so I have a question for you then. When you look at the the grain market so at, at the especially at like the wheat market and stuff like that i just had kirk hens on here oh, earlier today and he was talking about some pretty heavy rain that came through through kansas and he was talking like western kansas like overnight they got some places got anywhere from nine to 12 inches of rain or 11 inches of rain anyways it was a lot. <coughs> okay so how's that going to affect the wheat market and and is it just too little too late type of a scenario well, yeah, it might be too little too late, um, and, and it, it's also a world uh, issue. So, you know, you, you're looking at um, some, some hot spots. Now, parts of Canada are going to get a little bit of rain. That's negative. The Black Sea and parts of Russia are still hot and dry. That's maybe a little bit supportive. Uh, at this stage in wheat, you know, when you see excessive rains like that, it's generally not very good for it. Um, and I think it just remains to be seen. Obviously, it's going to be a subpar uh, yield in, in Texas, Oklahoma, Kansas, because it was just too dry for too long. Uh, but until you run the combines through, you know, you just you don't have a good feel. It's hard to peg wheat yields even when you go out there and, and you know, do some field checks and estimate it. So I think it remains to be seen a little bit. Those huge rains like that generally aren't very good. Um, you know, you can it can cause more problems than the than the good it does when you see that type of rain. Right. But uh, I think it, I think the jury's still out on crop size there. Gotcha. Okay. All right, man. Well, 
guys want to get in touch with you and can discuss more of their risk management, how would they do that? Well, best way is just call us uh, directly at our office, 309-550-7213. Right on, Chip. So until uh, tomorrow, have a good evening. All right. You do the same. Thanks, Casey. All right. Thanks, man. Today I have Aaron Fennell and Regina Nargis doing our normal weekly thing that we do on Mondays, but since this was a holiday week and it was a short week, we had to do it today. So, Aaron and Gina, what's up? Not a whole lot. Just living the dream. All day, every day, right? <laughs> yep. Another day, man. Another day. So, how was y'all's weekend? Do anything crazy? We were busy. Um, as I mentioned last week on the podcast, we were planning to AI cows, so it was just a weekend packed full of uh, work and busy activities. Yeah. Fennel. And rain. Did, Lots of rain. That's what I've heard. I've heard it's rained quite a bit uh, since since uh, Friday. How was your weekend? Good. Good. Uh, scraped lots. Pulled a lot of manure to the stockpile. Um really kind of uh, got after it sounds exciting it was it was awesome wish i could have been there i bet farm boy that you are and all yeah. <laughs> overwhelmingly overwhelmingly so my weekend I've, I've been on i've been on vacation here so i'm down in uh hilton head south carolina and i've just been enjoying afternoon beers and sitting on the beach so can't really, can't really complain too much. Right, right. Did a little running, I, mean, I see. I did. Me and my boy ran in a, a 5K, <clears throat> 5K race on Monday that we found while we were down here. So humidity is a great thing to run in, by the way. I forgot <laughs> how much I enjoyed running in humidity. thought I was going to die. Are, I couldn't breathe about three-quarters of the way through it. Are you still training for Aspen or – no, I gave up that dream a long time ago. <laughs> See, the whole the whole thing with humidity is though, if you sweat enough, you're just yeah. slick everywhere, and it makes you run faster. You would think that would be true to some extent, but you also have to have the ability. That, what I forgot was my pocket knife, so I couldn't cut the air out to breathe it. <laughs> <laughs> it was. It was so much. That was my biggest mistake I made the whole time I was down here. But oh yeah. Um, so it was. I hadn't have. I forgot what it was like to run in in massive humidity. So good times though for everybody. Ben got third place in his uh, in his twelve and under group, so he was pretty jacked about that. Right on. Awesome. Yep. Sometimes I question his genetics. I, I know he didn't get it, his ability to run long distances quite fast from me. So, and I know he didn't get much of it from his mother. So I don't know where it came from. <laughs> so having watched him play basketball, I would say he's part either antelope or white-tailed deer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's tall, lanky kid. So anyway, all right. So harvest has pretty much wrapped up. Uh, there's still a few pockets out there getting after hard and heavy, but for the most part, it's pretty much done. Harvest uh, or planting? Or planting, sorry. <laughs> what, are we, what are we harvesting? Wow. Yeah, we're, we were, uh, so I was thinking about South America the whole time I was doing that, but <laughs> <laughs> that's where I got screwed up at. 
Um, so planting is almost done. Hashtag plant 18 is almost uh, almost done for the most part. So a um, lot of stuff on Twitter showing guys rolling back in the yard, making their, their victory lap back into the yard and, and what have you. So the next uh, big battle we'll have to contend with will be harvest. And that is, uh, you know, wheat harvest is underway, depending on where you're at, um, south, north, northern part of Texas, you know, panhandle, stuff like that. Those guys are cutting wheat. Um, working their way north so harvest is in for all intents and purposes full swing just depending on where you're at in the country um so that means you need to have a combine to do all that stuff with so right now when i look across the marketplace and i look at combines i i have a little bit of i mean the droughts kind of got me a little scared a little bit about combine inventories nationwide so I do have some apprehension when I start looking at uh, the amount of used combines that are still in the marketplace, as well as that you see, you know, on the on the people's yards and what you see getting advertised across the auctions and and also getting advertised in, you know, the uh, consignment stuff that you see out there. So I don't know that I'm full fledged panic mode by any means, but I'm I don't feel comfortable with what's going on um, with not necessarily the 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 buying appetite but the amount of inventory that's out there so aaron you're you're beating the doors down every day so what, what's your take on that i think you know i'm quite honestly i'm surprised i've had as many guys from the drought area if you will say mm -hmm. san antonio to up north to i-70 you know the the worst part of the drought area as far as the wheat country goes, I've had as many guys asking about um, combine leases from that area as anywhere, um, which is very surprising. You know, for if if they have anything, you would think they would be out there with a pair of scissors and gloves. You know, <laughs> given right. given the situation, but I've had a lot of guys talking there. Um, and as far as a, a national standpoint, I think you're right. There's a lot of combines out there. It's not anything like it was a few years ago, though. No. And when you right. and when you're talking, you know, keep in mind a lot. When the 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 amount of inventory in the drought situation is going to have an adverse or a, a negative effect on. We harvest combine sales, but when it comes to fall, a lot of those areas that are in the drought also have irrigation, you know, for fall crops. And there's nothing to say that we're going to have, you know, the drought of 12 in the Corn Belt either. So when it comes around fall time, I think there's going to be, I guess I would be more optimistic on combines in general than than what you're saying right. i don't know that i'm unoptimistic on them my my i'm more concerned about the overall supply and how that's going to affect pricing that's that's where i'm you know what i mean so like we we have a little bit of a dip in in the marketplace when you start looking at the amount of equipment versus the amount of of buyers right so as that is that going to have an adverse effect on on pricing for example the stuff that we traded for last fall going into this um early summer you know buying period is that going to are we going to be looking at some issues where we're going to be 
a little bit stronger than we need to be on on pricing as far as our position is on on used combines on our lot yeah i would i would agree with that i i that's my only apprehension i don't, I don't think that we're not going to have buyers i just kind of start worrying about the competitive marketplace and how that how we're going to stack up into that and the different slots that we see out there yeah no i i i agree with that i it's, it's going to be more of a pricing thing than it is probably supply and demand but that the pricing side of that is driven by the amount of supply too so right absolutely it's just like anything else though casey if if you got if you're on the money you're gonna move it right absolutely well, absolutely that's true okay so earlier in your statement you said that down in the drought the, the heaviest drought stricken parts of the of the country you have a lot of activity with guys wanting to lease equipment so or combines what is what's their motivation behind that is a i need a new combine type deal or i need an extra combine or what's what's their driving factor that you're hearing behind some of those conversations you're having i would say half of it is upgrades half of it is an extra combine okay wanting a wanting a second or even third machine and it's not a scenario of um like i want to add a 9600 for a third machine it's i want to add a mid-range in hours um s series you know s670 s680 something that you know and and honestly it, it's less about the hours and more about what the lease payment is on that because that's you know as with the economy we're in that's what that's what everybody's looking at so are they looking at those machines that price range of machine that is a a thousand hour fifteen hundred hour separator hour type machine or is it are they looking for you know are they looking for that twenty to thirty thousand dollar payment basically is that what they're looking for oh yeah sub sub thirty for sure okay in that area in the corn you know corn in the corn belt midwest if you will there's you know that's a those guys are after a little bit of a different machine and then you're sub 40 obviously um right and it's more about specs and hours than it is 100 percent about the payment like it is the extra combine in the wheat belt so what do you think what's your expectation right now moving in from basically from now till august right we're going to be looking to selling combines um what where do you feel that's going to go i mean do you feel based on how you started out starting out do you feel like it's going to be slower than last year better than last year same as for right now moving forward i would say it's not not very intelligent speak but i would say a steady trickle moving forward and but the year as a whole i think will be more combine sales than last year just because the amount of machines that I personally have sold in January, February, March, April, which is very out of the norm for selling combines, that on top of the steady trickle moving forward, which there always is if you're on the money, mm -hmm. I think you know all that combined will make this year better than last year for combine sales. But from this very point moving forward, I think it's just going to be a 
It's gonna be it's gonna be the tortoise, not the hare. I got you. I got you. Steady but true, right? Right. But I but right. then again I could see late July and August, you know, obviously that's that's a big selling point or a big selling time for used combines moving into fall harvest. I could see that being a a pretty good uptick if you got the right machines at the right price. Right. Okay. All right, Gina. So we're gonna have the first generation of the S seven seven or S seven hundred series um, coming through. Yep. And how do you think that's going to affect the marketplace? How many guys are gonna be looking to upgrade to that one and two year old machine? Well, one year old machine. And how's that going to affect the overall market, do you feel? Um, you know, I was pleasantly surprised last year at early order time um, with how many orders we had for that new combine. There's a lot of guys super, super excited about it because it's got a lot of new techie features um, with the active terrain adjuster. I can't even remember what they call it. But um, so I think there's a lot of excitement Um as always, there's always those guys who want to be the first guy to have one and to run it and, um, you know, see what it's all about. Um, but I think there's definitely going to be a good bunch of guys that, you know, are ready to be like a second owner. Um, you know, let somebody run it for the first year to get them to kind of figure it out. And uh, I think there's going to be a strong demand for that machine, low houred. Um to Aaron's point, too, I think the weather, or I guess, Casey, you're the one who was talking more about the weather, but I think definitely the weather is going to play a huge role in the combine market till the end of the year. Um, because right now, there's just such a big differential in some of the different areas as to the weather that they're receiving. Um, you know, the drought down south is still not not good and not seeing any improvement. So, um yeah, I think the weather's probably going to be a bigger factor than anything this year. I think my opinion, when you start looking at that, the 700 series combine, to me, I think the draw there is the way the machine adjusts so much of itself on its own. That I think a lot of producers are looking at that saying, I can really put anybody I want to in there and it's going to, I don't have to worry about them not adjusting settings or not doing this or not doing that and they can go out and just do it yep um i, I think that's going to drive a lot of people into that into that combine that's that's kind of my my idea behind that because of the, of the labor issue and, and and the different stuff that you see out there if you don't have the same guy come back every year to run your combine i think that's a perfect fit to kind of bring that just jump up here and here's a quick tutorial on how to how what buttons to push when and yep. kind of set it up and go Yep, it's kind of a part solution to, you know, the farm labor issue that many are facing. Yeah, no, I think so. Aaron, you got many guys looking for those, talking to you about the one-year-old combine? Yeah, yeah, I have through the year. Um, and we, we've had some trickle in here. Oh, probably three or four of those um, throughout the year here that were test machines or what have you, and demand has been super super hot on those there's been a lot of guys you know across the country that have mentioned you know that that have asked 
me, hey, do you got any of these? Because I'd, I'd really, really like to get one. And be like, well, no, you know, that if they pop in now and then, we do. But it's it's uh, not a – there's not like six of them sitting on the lot either. So I, I agree with Gina. I think there will be some decent demand for them. Um, I think the biggest – the biggest factor in that will be will be uh, you know just overall availability of machines. How many across the country had a good early order like we ourselves did? Um, you know, obviously you, you see those reports and stuff. I'm always watching that on RFD that bottom ticker. How you know deer sales up or you know, Canada had increased sales and this and that. So there's plenty of, you know, and they're not reporting used. The manufacturers aren't. So there's there's plenty of sales being had out there on the new stuff. So I I think it'll be I think it'll be a good machine. Have some demand. Um, it's going to you know you're looking at three hundred thousand dollar used combines on them things. So that's going to have an impact on just how much demand there really is. Though. Well, I, I, that's, that's the other part of it too. And I look at kind of all the stuff that you see happening out there with the used combine marketplace, you know, that, that combine brand new was whatever it was, 400 to 450,000 bucks, depending on how you had it set up. Right. Um, you could easily have a $350,000 used combine if it's got all the right stuff on it. You know what I mean? Right. And, and it's under 300 separator hour type of deal. Um, my biggest concern with the price of used equipment right now has nothing to do with, it doesn't have as much to do with the overall economy, economy as it does the person that's going to spend 350000 bucks on a used piece of equipment for fifty or $75,000 more, which sounds like a big number, but you're, only, you're talking for 10% more to 15% more the price of the used combine, you can get a new one. You know what I mean? Right, exactly. You know, so now you start looking at like, well, holy crap, well, I mean, what? Well, even if it's even if it's 20% more, you know, if at, at 350 and, you know, at, in that $70,000 more, you're at 420. I mean, if you can afford 350, it's not that far of a stretch to, to think that you could afford 400. You know what I mean? Because what's your overall payment structure look like when it goes from 350 to, to 400 or 420 you know what i mean you're you're still looking at probably increasing your your yearly payment by five thousand bucks six thousand bucks seven thousand bucks something like that so if you're already paying sixty thousand dollars a year for a combine um and you and you add another five to seven thousand dollars of that how much of a difference does that make right you know, so that's that's my biggest concern right now when you start looking at these numbers and how big they've gotten. Now, the flip side of that is because of the economy that we're in, that five to seven thousand dollars a year might make a big difference to somebody. You know what I mean? So I I, I think that there's a the features and benefits are awesome, but we're in a very much a price structured environment. Yep. And it's it's what what does the what does the overall payment gonna look like? What am I what's my interest rate? And, and how long <clears throat> and how long am I going to be in this particular situation that I'm in um, but some guys haven't changed anything they've done as far as their equipment purchasing practices at all 
since 2013. You know, they're still rolling their stuff every year and, and it is what it is. And I, But it's few and far between. And I feel like the guys that that are we've done that with, that we've maintained that with, you got now jump in here on this one because I, I think there's two schools of thoughts on this. The the one year old guy that we have maintained doing that with, it feels like up until this year, we've been able to get rid of of their used equipment. I'm not saying that we haven't got rid of their used equipment this year because we have. It's just that this year seems like it's a little tougher than we've had to deal with in the last couple. Is that a fair statement? I would say if, yeah, on the combines, definitely it's taken a little bit longer to wash out of those units um, than what it has in the past couple years. Um, and I think kind of, you know, what we've all been talking about is it's slow. The combine market has just kind of slowed a little bit. There's definitely still buyers out there, but it's just kind of slowed and stretched out the process. Yep. What do you think, Aaron? Yeah. Um, you know, obviously the, the, the proof is in the numbers and it's, it's a factual deal as far as what's driving that. I think it's, it's not necessarily a, a price deal. I think it's more of a spec deal from time to time. Um, and it's hard, you know, on, on the flip side of the coin, it's hard to say, well, we need your combine, you know, just like we had last year's, but it needs to have this on it. Right. You know, that's, that's kind of a struggle we run into from time to time. And, you know, maybe I know we've had a couple of our yearly guys switch specs one year and then kind of wait another year and then add another spec to it. And, Eventually, you get them where you want them, but it's in the it's in the meantime that it it does make it a little difficult. Yeah, I also think to that same point, Aaron. I think the other part of it is that I see happening is that we're in the fifth year of a downturn, right? And a lot of cash, you know, coffers that they've had where they've had some cash piled up, it's getting tight now, and they are you know, producers are down. They're looking at okay, do I buy a new combine or do I fix the one I have and run it one more year or two more years or, or do I just keep fixing this one you know and only and spending XYZ on it instead of having a $60,000 payment it's the cash flow situation and that's I feel like that's such a, a a big point a big part of everything that, that the guys are looking at now um, more more than they've ever had before in the past um, I think this year it's just that 20, 2018 is probably the year that it's going to remember, you know, as as the as the one of the tougher years in in the ag economy in recent in recent years, anyway. And the interest rate too. I think the interest rate is playing a big factor into that because um, it's moved up like two times here just in the last six months. So um, I think that's definitely a concern for guys too. Yeah, there's there's right now there's so much stuff to be scared about. Yeah. Right. So you've got. What's happened with China? One day we got it all figured out. We're going to be best pals, and then now we're going to start dinking with the the foreign car industry, and we're going to start tariffing those things. And that, so we had it all worked out, but now we don't have it all worked out. Um, you know. Yeah, but Donald said we're going to do more ag products than than we can possibly produce. So I'm just going to hang out and wait for ten dollars corn. Well. 
what we're all if that's true then we're all going to be we're, we've picked the right possible industry to ever possibly be in so we're going to be looking at bushel corn being worth about 10 to, to 15 bucks if that's the truth because and uh, that's the one thing that Chinese has never have never taken from us is this corn and I'm gonna retire at the age of 30 so right well yeah you're gonna be you're gonna gold bars now you're not, you're not on you got some gold bars going on out there so yeah I don't know I, I think that there's gonna be some good stuff out there from what I understand and what I've read is that they haven't necessarily said that they weren't going to take any like part of the bargaining negotiation was you know we, we still want you guys to to uh to buy the same amount of stuff um we're gonna buy the same amount of stuff from you you, you know us to china we're gonna buy the same amount of stuff from you. we just want you to buy more from us and that's kind of been the negotiation portion of it um and so i don't know it, it uh, interest rates commodity prices are all over the place i'm looking at i'm looking at my phone now and and I got my latest report on what corn is, and it looks like to me it was down like I can't. I'll get it up here real quick. It was down. Uh, let's see here. July corn is is down 8.25, and uh, D's corn was down seven and a half. Power to the December almonds. <laughs> well, I don't know. I don't follow D's nuts. It's hard, it's hard, it's hard to hard to get up and check that one. <laughs> Uh, I've been waiting for that joke for a long time. There you go. I'm glad I could tee it up for you, buddy. I finally got that one out. <laughs> but so I don't know. There's a lot to be, lot to be, lot to be worried about, and lot, lot to be not necessarily worried about. It's just you don't know what's going on. Yeah. So it's hard to worry about something that you don't know which way it's going to go. So all these producers are feeling that, and you know, I don't know. We'll just have to see what happens and hope for the best. I think a lot of producers, though, too, they've been taking advantage of this little bit of a price swing um, and locking in contracts. And even um, I've heard of a lot of guys price the next year's crop already just because of the uncertainty that, you know, is out there. They're like, well, I'm just going to try and lock in some, you know, that I know is a good price just to cover part of their basis, you know. Um but yeah, you nailed it on the head there. The commodity prices have been up and down. They're up in the overnight and then way down in the type trading. So yeah, or vice versa. They or up. or yeah, you know they'll be down just hard and heavy overnight, and then all of a sudden they open up and they go from being down down a you know ten cents and they'll be up by eight by the time it opens up. It's just it's just nuts how it works. So there'll be a yeah. 15, 20 cents swing in corn. In, in a day so I don't know, it's kind of crazy but anyway well Aaron you any final words I think we've kind of beat this one to death no uh, I guess my parting words would be since we we have combines and combines are kind of my bread and butter then you know if someone's looking for a combine by all means give me a call there's my there's my shameful self plug of the day okay and let's just pretend for a minute that not everyone has your phone number. How would they? How would they do? Well, that? they can find me on Twitter at Aaron Fintel, and my last name is F I N T E L. Or call or text me 308-760-1193. Miss Narges, where would they find you out there on the Twitterverse? <laughs> uh, my Twitter handle is R R J A N O U S E K. That's Janoshek for anybody who's non-Czech. 
Instagram and Facebook as well. So, right on. You can find me at Moving Iron LLC on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can send me an email at Moving Iron Podcast at Moving Iron Podcast.com. You can also check out Moving Iron LLC.com. Find past and present episodes of the Moving Iron Podcast. There's a blog in there you can read from time to time. And you can also get information about the Moving Iron Summit in Las Vegas. Great place if you're a dealer to come check out and hang out with other with other dealers um you can also go to moving on llc and shop the amazon click through that's there i think it's back up i hope i might be saying this for nothing but i'm pretty sure it's back up and when you do that you support the podcast you can also support the podcast by subscribing to your favorite um podcasting platform and you can find this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, TuneIn Radio, and SoundCloud. All right. So until next time, this is Casey Seymour. Regina Nargis. And Aaron Fennell. Let's go move some iron. Out. Moving iron in the 21st century. Hardworking people.